fairy lights for fairy nights. It's time for your bedtime story. Brought to you by me, the Suze. Also brought to you by me, Zelda. Put your PJs on and sit down for a soothing bedtime story. It's not just the devil in the details. What else is lurking? Fairy lights for fairy nights. Well, hello there. Here we are. Tuesday again. Here we are. And uh, Ken's already made an announcement. We're off to Cam- Fairyland via Camelot. It could Arthur be true. from the Court of Camelot is here. Oh, goodness. So, yes. How are you all this lovely, lovely Tuesday? It's getting I all, warmer. I all are good. It are getting warmer. It are. <laughs> so, uh, Zelda's off doing important things for the state of Massachusetts. She's making the blue wave come around, and we're having Ken sit in for her for a little bit. So, I hope you all enjoy his company, and we're going to do some exciting Camelotti things. And we've got a new serial chapter. Uh, we're frozen on Peter Pan. Uh, we'd like I some more. I hate it when my Peter gets frozen. Oh, goodness. No, it's Peter Pan. Oh, oh. Not just Peter. Yeah, that's something different. Oh, all together. Yeah. All together. Um, I just got out of the pool. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So, anyway. Arthur from the uh, Court of Camelot is here. Hey. <laughs> It's only a model. What's that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Ah, uh, third wall bust or fourth wall busting is what it means. Yeah. But no, I'm yeah. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad. Uh, you know, uh, Susan asked me what I wanted to hear, and I said I want to hear some Let's Pretend. And she's like, "How about King Arthur?" And I was like, "Yeah, King Arthur." Yeah. So the- you, we just we did play a Let's Pretend a while ago, and it was. It was more of a dramatic radio reading, and I do mm-hmm. enjoy that. I was a little annoyed by the cream of wheat for a while, but um, but you know the cream of wheat can be great. Uh, we do make no, we don't. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Well, what I was going to say was, yeah, the Cream of Wheat ad is uh, delightful, and it's set to the tune of the Let's Pretend song. But yes. we do make Cream of Wheat um, bets. Uh, and I would like to bet this time that the Cream of Wheat ad will be played once during the King Arthur um, hmm. story. Well, would you like okay. to make a bet, Kenneth? I think this is going to be cream of wheat free, uh, the King Arthur one. I, I just, I, I don't know. I have a feeling that this one probably came up one of the records and not the radio broadcast. Maybe. Maybe. So. And in the past, I've bet two cream of wheat stories and gotten none. So mm. it's good that you played the cream of wheat beforehand. So is the is the prize. People do enjoy it. Is the prize uh, your weight, uh, your weight in cream of wheat? The prize is the love and consideration and and uh, respect of your peers. 
Ah, okay. And a yeah, pipe and a hop like bowl of five minutes until fully digested cream of wheat. <laughs> yes. I'm a big fan of oatmeal, but, you know, cream of wheat. Yay. So. <laughs> you know how. All right. Well, and also, just as a friendly reminder as to how King Arthur is easily identified. Who's that then? I don't know. Must be a king. Come on. He hasn't got shit all over him. Because he doesn't eat cream of wheat constantly. Doesn't eat it every day. Um, yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, so the, I guess uh, typically we uh, we talk about what we remember from King Arthur, you know, about, uh, yeah. you know, we, we figure out what we know. And I happen to know a fair amount uh, about Arthurian legend. You know, there's, um, mm -hmm. you know, the Knights of the Round Table, uh, uh, Gawain and Lancelot and um, uh, who's the other big one? Why well, can't I remember his name? Um uh oh percival hmm. percival was a big one okay okay and uh god there's the one that i uh, there's percival gawain i said the other one um now i'm, forge john? I'm forgetting the easy one little john, <laughs> little john. isn't there a little no. john <laughs> yeah and don tanyan uh no the <laughs> isn't there friar tuck is there a friar tuck that's I don't robin know. hood <laughs> you're you're oh that's you're, robin you're hood. writing oh, a, you're writing confused. a medieval crossover uh for us yeah? right now so this is this is why happen. i have to sir I galahad because i don't know galahad, Gal okay that was yeah, yeah. Um, is he the green knight is he sir oh is sir gwayne is the green knight I don't know. I, I I I don't know the color codes for the knights, um, but and of course you know there's the 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 legend of the Excalibur, the the sword in the stone. Yes. And, yes. You know the yes. uh, in that there's all kinds of confusion around that too. A lot of people think that you know, uh, well you know he didn't pluck it from the stone or something, but he, I don't know. Yeah. But it was chucked into the, you know. Uh, Into the middle of the lake. It was given to him, yeah, it was given to him by a watery tart, <laughs> passing out swords. So, just like Star Wars, there's one woman in the entire universe. Sure. In, in uh, Red Riding, uh, Red Riding Hood, in um, Riding, Robin Hood. Robin there's Hood. Maid Marian. Yeah. And in in um, King Arthur, there's um. I just had her name, uh, not uh, made Marion, but Guinevere. Guinevere. Guinevere, right? Yeah, I think so. There's just one lady because we only sure. have room for one lady. We got just Merlin like in the Star magician. Wars. We got Merlin the magician as well. We do. There is a magician. That's good. Yeah. So yeah, that's all I remember. So you know, and and you know the the uh, but uh, I'm kind of interested here because not only are we going to do we're going to do a. a, a the sequel to King Arthur tonight, which is exciting too. Yeah, which I know which is, nothing about. No, so, I don't either. We didn't really listen to it because we don't listen to these things before. We like to be surprised. We, just, we yeah. yeah, I did check we, to make we're sure we're going to hear the story. Yeah, we checked to make sure the audio was nice and loud for everybody, though. So, um, but we kind of assume that uh, let's pretend isn't going to swear or uh, <laughs> tell you horrible things. Except for Bluebeard, we were ready for the horrible things, and some were horrible. Uh, you, but, they don't, they don't have swearing and let's pretend. I don't think so. In the fifties, mm. they didn't swear in front of kids. 
Well, they, I mean, you were lucky if you could say hell on a TV show in the in the fifties yeah. and sixties. Um, that was risque. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so I'm kind of excited about this. Um, uh, go, oh, Fox Art says Gawain wasn't the Green Knight. He was challenged by the Green Knight. Oh, so, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. And well, uh, see, that's why we need. I need to listen to this because I have no idea. Yes. It's been a while. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, what what do we do? We play uh, transition music, isn't that right? Uh, yeah. If we, we talk we... before the thing, we're just gonna chat, chat, chat. But um. Yeah. Well, we got a couple minutes before it actually starts here with the transition. So, um, I'm hoping uh, that there's a uh, there's some action and some adventure here. I'm hoping oh, for some yeah. slide whistle whistle sound effects from the Foley crew of uh, Let's Pretend. That could be cool. I'm hoping for some chivalry. I'm hoping for some brave deeds. And I'm hoping for some mighty steeds. Mm, mighty steeds, you say? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I wonder if Brave Sir Robin will be in this. Ooh, yeah. there's a teaser for later. Uh, Maybe. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so uh, let's see where King Arthur on Let's Pretend goes. Mm hmm. American Family Cereal presents Let's Pretend. <laughs> Hello, pretenders. Hello, well, it's a story about King Arthur today. So, Gwen, whose turn is to say how we travel to Let's Pretend? Oh, Bill Lipton hasn't said for a long time. Well, if we're going back more than a thousand years to the days of King Arthur, we'll have to travel fast. I choose a jet plane. Oh, a jet plane it is, Bill. Okay, one, two, three. And there we are. Into the cabin, everybody. Fasten your safety harness and oxygen mask at the ready. Let's go! Once upon a time, a thousand years ago and more, England had a wonderful king named Arthur. His story begins when his father, King Uther Pendragon, whose first wife was dead, fell in love with the queen of a nearby kingdom. But there was one difficulty after another, and finally, Uther Pendragon had to get help from his court magician, Merlin. You will help me, Merlin. Come, travel with me at once. I may have need of all your magic arts. I will, my lord king, on one condition. A condition? I am Uther Pendragon, king of England. I am unaccustomed to conditions. True. And I am Merlin, wisest of wizards, advisor, protector, and seer of the future. Without me, how do you think you would have fared against the Celts? Without me... Your pardon, Merlin, I... I forgot myself. 
You have a condition for helping me. What is it? When, with my help, you have won this queen and are happily married, you will have at last a son. A son? A son to take over the throne when I am gone? Merlin, is it true? It will be so, my lord. And I ask that as soon as he is born, you deliver this boy child to me. To rear as I see fit. Deliver him to you? But, Merlin, for years I've dreamed of a son. There will be many who wish harm to a new heir to the throne. Your daughter, Morgan Le Fay, whom I myself taught magic, knows dangerous enchantments. Morgan Le Fay? But the babe would be her own half-brother. Aye, but would that stop Morgan Le Fay? Do not let her beauty or your father's heart blind you to Morgan's schemes and hopes, Uther. She would be the next ruler of England. But she must know that cannot be. England must have a strong warrior king. Then give me the son who will be born. I... Very well, Merlin. It is a promise. Now can we ride at once? And so it happened, as Merlin foretold. Uther Pendragon was married, and a boy child was born. And the king, true to his promise, bound the child in cloth of gold and bade one of the court ladies take the child in secrecy to the postern gate at night. Someone will be waiting. But where? Oh, shush. Hush now. Poor lamb. It's a strange way to treat a little prince. All right, my lady. What? You may give the child to me now. But you look like no more than a beggar. I am the one who is to receive him. Your mercy, madam. And hand him to me. Well, here, be careful. Quiet now, young Arthur, quiet. What? What did you call him? I called him by his name. But he has no name yet. He has not been christened. He will be soon christened Arthur. And now you will forget this whole matter. Good night, my lady. And so it was that Merlin carried the baby prince off into the night. Rode with him over hill, over dale, till at last he halted by a castle gate and rang the great bell that hung above it. When he heard someone coming, he laid the baby by the gate and rode away. And that was how young Arthur came to be raised by a good knight named Sir Ector along with Sir Ector's only son, a lad named Sir Kay. And so the years passed, and no one knew Arthur's kingly heritage but the magician Merlin. And then came a day when Uther Pendragon lay sick unto death in his castle at Camelot. All the lords and ladies of the court were sorrowing. But in a small room, the king's daughter, Morgan Le Fay, talked with a knight named Sir Accalon. Soon, soon now it will start. As soon as my father dies, a dozen nobles will claim the throne. The throne and crown that should be mine. Aye, why should it not belong to Uther's own daughter, Morgan Le Fay? Hear me now, Sir Accalon. I vow one day I shall be queen. Oh, my lady, you think it's possible? You think Pledge you're... it with me, Sir Accalon. Pledge your fighting strength to me, and I promise, when I am queen, you shall be the most powerful knight in the realm. Long since I pledged myself your knight, Morgan Le Fay. Well, then. Who's that? Who knocks? 
die. Merlin. Merlin. Peace. There's nothing to fear from him. Come in. My lady. Oh, and Sir Acalon. I bid you to the king's chamber at once. He names his heir. Huh? Names his heir, does he? Aye. And it will be well for you to hear it from the king's own lips, Morgan Le Fay. Come. Lords and ladies all, the king is sinking fast. Pray for his soul. My lord archbishop, has he spoken yet? Has he named his heir? He thinks no longer of earthly things, Merlin. Stand back, fall to your knees. Your pardon, your grace, but he must speak. Uther. Uther Pendragon. Uh, Merlin. Old friend, Merlin. Name him now, the next ruler of England. Your son, Arthur. What does Merlin say to my father? The next ruler of England. My son, Arthur. My lords, ladies, enough. Your king, Uther Pendragon, lives no more. May God receive his soul. I, God receive his soul. And we will deal with this talk of Arthur later. Merlin. Thanks be to heaven you've come at last. I came as soon as your message reached me, Lord Archbishop. How may I serve you? Tell me, was it some witchcraft of yours when the king spoke of a son named Arthur? It was no witchcraft, your grace, but the simple truth. Uther Pendragon's son is a full-grown lad of sixteen now. Strong, brave, and handsome. And a fit heir to the crown. Where is he then? Why does he not come forward and end the outcries and tumult? Half the nobles of England claim the throne, and Morgan Le Fay schemes day and night. Your grace, the country is indeed in a tumult, such a tumult, that even should I bring forward the lad, how many would take my word that he is Uther's son? Aye, aye, you are right, Merlin. How would anything, short of a sign from heaven, convince the quarreling nobles that one lad above all others should be their king? Your grace, there will be a sign from heaven. What? What are you saying, wizard? Long ago, I saw it in the crystal that foreshadows the future, Your Grace. There will be a sign from heaven to convince all. Arthur is our king. Saints, mercy! What was that? Your Grace, Your Grace, look out in the churchyard. Look what has suddenly appeared. Why, a great stone stands there, and on it, an anvil. And thrust into the anvil. A sword. And look, Your Grace. There is writing. Come. Come, Merlin. Let us see at once what it says. Yes, yes. But this is the sign. I am sure of it. The naked sword stands upright by its point in the anvil and... Merlin. See what it says in letters of gold. Whoso pulleth out this sword from this anvil... Is rightwise king born of England. And so, as the news of the sword and the anvil passed among the people, knights came from far and near to try to pull it forth. Now I shall say it. Enough, you cannot stir it. My turn. 
King of England, forsooth. Why does it not read Queen? Well, Sir Acalon, would you be king and have me for your queen? Then do you essay the sword. For you, Morgan Le Fay, I can but try. Oh. Try once more. I... Failed me, Acalon. Yet I will not be defeated. I shall be queen. Now did shouting and confusion rise again when it seemed no one could move the sword. So finally Merlin suggested a great tournament to take everyone's mind from their quarreling for a while. Word of the tournament went out across the country, and among those who came riding to Camelot were Sir Ector, his son Sir Kay, and his foster son, Arthur. <laughs> you ride eagerly, Arthur. You look forward to your first tournament? Oh, I do indeed, Father. Methinks nothing could be more splendid than to be a brave knight. Valiant in tournament, riding forth on adventure. No reason why you should not achieve your ambition, Arthur. And ride forth on adventure all your life. Now, by all that's evil. Why, Kay, what's amiss? Look, Father. Only look at the sword that I brought in my haste. The old blunted one with no edge at all. Oh, how can I enter the tournament with this? So, that is indeed bad fortune, my son. <laughs> I can hardly lend you mine... What can be done? Arthur, good brother, you would not mind, would you? Riding home to the castle and fetching me my good sword. All the way back to the castle, Kay. Ride swiftly and you can return before the tournament's more than started. Please, brother Arthur. All right, Kay, of course. Round you go, Blaze. That's right. I'll try not to be too long, Kay. Uh, my thanks to you, Arthur. We will meet at the tournament, son. It's not that I begrudge the errand. But if there were only someplace nearer where I could find a sword for Kay. Wait. What is that? Ho, Blaze, ho! Out there in the churchyard. That sword thrust into the stone. And all those who got it have gone to the tournament. Well, I can at least try. <laughs> Brother Kay! Kay, here I am! Ah, it's Arthur! Indeed, he's come swiftly. Oh, Blades! Oh! Here, Kay, a sword. Not your own, I grant you, but perhaps it will serve you as well. Oh, my thanks to you, Arthur. I. The sword. I've seen this sword. Why, Father! Oh, Father! Ah, Kay, you have your sword now. Behold! I have the sword from the stone. But, but let me see. It is indeed the sword from the stone. And Arthur brought it to me, Father. Arthur? Why, it is true, Father. I thought myself on the way home how much simpler to take that sword if I couldn't on trying it. It came out easily in my hand. It came out easily in your hand? Then you... You! No, wait. We shall assemble all the court and ride back to the anvil in the churchyard and set the sword in it again. Then... If you can draw it forth in the sight of all, you, Arthur, whom I have raised as son, shall be henceforth my own liege lord and king. Lords, lords and ladies, attend me, attend me now. The sword is firmly in the anvil again. 
Now shall Arthur, foster son of Sir Ector, essay to remove it. Go forth, Arthur. Yes, step forward now. Grasp the handle. He draws it forth with ease. Wherefore he is, as the anvil says, king born of England, Arthur, son of Uther Pendragon. It is God's will. Long live the king. is King Arthur now, and all kneel before him. Oh, it is not to be born. You spoke, Morgan Le Fay? Huh? Aye, I spoke, Sir Accolon. Methinks fair words would better serve my purpose for a while than hard ones. Wherefore, Arthur, Morgan Le Fay would do homage on bended knee. Accept now my loyalty, Arthur, born my brother, and my king. As the wizard Merlin foretold, Arthur, son of Uther Pendragon, has become king of England. And all have come to love him. All save one. But in vain does the wise old Merlin try to warn Arthur against his half-sister... The Enchantress, Morgan Le Fay. Nay, Merlin, this one time you are wrong. Morgan Le Fay does not hate me. Why, time and again she has shown her sisterly affection. It is a trick, sire, to lull your suspicions. Then, when you fear nothing, she will strike. I tell you, sire, she wants the crown. Merlin, how can you read such evil into one so beautiful and clever? Because I know her. Because I myself taught her magic. Well, now, come. Let us speak no more of her. There is something I would show you in the great hall, Merlin. Will you come? Of a certainty, sire. And then there is somewhere I would have you go with me. If you will not heed me, you need other protection. Yes, yes, but now look, Merlin. Look into the great hall. What? Why, all that's holy. The huge round table that neither fills the hall. Ringed around with seats. How many, my lord? There are 150 seats around the round table, Merlin. 150. And what sort of gathering do you plan, sire, to provide such a table and so many seats? Merlin, all I have ever asked of life was to be a knight, riding out an adventure. It was God's will that I should become king instead. So here I shall gather all the bravest, boldest knights of the world. Is it not a good plan? It is a wondrous plan indeed, my lord. Now look, in letters of gold on every seat will be the name of the knight whose chair it is. You see, here is Sir Lancelot's seat. He who rides forth with me tomorrow to bring back the fair Guinevere. You, you plan to leave so soon to fetch the Lady Guinevere? Merlin, since first I saw her at the Feast of Pentecost, I have dreamed of making her my bride. Why should I not go soon? No reason, my lord. Not if you will come with me at once on that errand of which I spoke. Come, let us saddle our horses. I will tell you as we ride. This is what I would speak to you of, Sab. Ever since you left the sword you drew from the stone at the church as a symbol of your reign, it has concerned me that you have no unfailing sword by your side. Ah, here we are by the lake. Let us draw rein, Sire. Oh, oh. What is our errand here, Merlin? It is a lovely lake, surely. Wait. I... I speak for Arthur, son of Uther, king of England. Who speaks for the lake? <laughs> 
By all the saints, look. Out in the center of the lake, a great arm has risen from the water. Holding... Holding a sword. Aye, but now look closer to the shore. See who rises from the water there and walks towards us. A fair damsel all in white. I am the lady of the lake. And the fair sword yonder is yours, Arthur. If you promise me one favor in exchange. One favor? Only name it, my lady. In my own time, I shall name it. Only beware of any who may come falsely in my name demanding it. That I will. Then row forth now on that barge yonder and take your sword, Excalibur, so long as it is in your hands. No one can prevail against you. And so Arthur received the great sword Excalibur. And when Morgan Le Fay saw it that evening at the castle, a sudden plan was born in her heart. She called Sir Accolon to her secretly and prevailed upon him to do as she bid him. And so, shortly... Oh, come, sire. Delay your journey to get Guinevere by a day only. And we shall have such a hunt as comes only rarely. But you say it was a pure white deer you saw in the forest, Accolon? Well, truly, that is a wondrous sight. And it will be a wondrous hunt as well. I'll come questing after him with me tomorrow, sire. And with Excalibur in your hand, the white deer may be your prize. Well, I... All right. Tomorrow, the quest of the white deer. And so, as Morgan Le Fay had told him to do, Sir Accalon lured King Arthur into the forest. Deeper and deeper they went, and there was no sight of the deer. But suddenly, they found themselves near a remote lake, and beside the lake was a bright canvas pavilion. Hold there. Hold up. This pavilion seems utterly deserted, Akalar. Ah, oh, it does indeed, sire. Oh, no. Oh. Easy. But look, there's food on the table there and wine. Are you as hungry as I, Akalar? Oh, surely no knight would begrudge his king a supper from his table. Well, come, let us dismount then, Akalar. Take advantage of this miracle. And so King Arthur and Sir Akalar ate and drank. And almost at once they both fell into a heavy slumber. For the food and drink had been enchanted by Morgan Le Fay, who had gone on before them by her magic. And so soon as they lay there asleep, she appeared again and took Arthur's sword Excalibur and buckled it on Sir Accalon. And to Arthur, she gave a false copy of Excalibur. And anon, Arthur awoke, and he was alone. But where... Where is Accolon? Where has he betaken himself? Truly, I, I feel a curious numbness. And there is a weird sense of mystery over all this place. Oh, come, I must mount and ride hence and find Akala. No, Arthur. Go not yet. Great heavens, rising from the lake, that figure. You promised me one boon, Arthur, in exchange for the sword Excalibur. I promised the lady of the lake. But are you she? You look like her, but your voice... Doubt me not, Arthur. Or would you refuse the favor you promised? No, no, not that. Of course I would. Then hear me. This bright pavilion by which you have rested belongs to an evil knight who wishes me harm. Fight him for me, Arthur, when he rides from the forest. That is all I ask. That food and drink were drugged. 
If I could be sure you were the lady of the lake. You would forswear your promise. No, I tell you, I would not. Look! He comes even now. Quickly, sire. Your helmet on your head. Yes, yes, that's right. I hear. Here he leaps from his horse. He charges towards you, sword held high. Very well, if he demands a fight. That's you, knight on guard. <laughs> a brave officer. Once, knight. What is amiss with this sword? Excalibur, where is your keen edge? Your something? <laughs> he is wounded. It is evil magic at work. This is not Excalibur. And you, Sir Knight, whoever you are, you have my sword. Look out, I come at you barehanded! Mercy! Mercy! Excalibur! Now I have you in my hand. Prepare to die, you traitorous knight who would turn my own sword against me. Lift up your helmet and let me see your face. Akalon. Yes, sire. Sire, please kill me. Akalon. It was you who fought me? Yes, sire, with your own sword. Given me by Morgan Le Fay. Fool! Do you betray me now? Morgan Le Fay. It is Morgan Le Fay who's behind all this evil business. This damsel who calls herself the Lady of the Lake. Where is she? She's vanished. Aye, when she saw you had your own sword back again, she vanished by her accursed magic. Ah, truly, sire, Morgan Le Fay has had me bewitched for years. That I could charge against my liege lord and king. Morgan Le Fay. The Merlin was right. She does wish me evil. Sire, you're wounded, and you said not. Wounded by my hand. It is but a scratch, not serious. No, Arthur. A blessing, rather. Merlin! Wounded by Excalibur. It is your sword truly now, sire. Merlin, how came you here? Surely I, who taught that evil enchantress her magic, can appear and vanish as easily as she. And now I am heartily glad she has done her worst. And open your eyes at last, my lord. Fay, my own half-sister, Merlin, the knowledge is more bitter than the wound. Would that you would kill me, sire, for giving it to and you. if I kill you, what? Does that wipe out Morgan Le Fay's hatred? Is it right any wrong? No, I will not kill you, Akala. Sire, hear me now. There is evil in the world, as well as good. To be a great king, you must know this. You must learn to face evil and punish it. As you will punish Morgan Le Fay. And then, you must turn your face to the sun again. Turn it to the sun? Aye. Turn your face to Camelot now, my lord. Think of the round table you have established there. And the knights who will ride forth in your name. To right wrong everywhere. Aye. The round table. And tomorrow I ride forth for Guinevere. Yes, my lord. For your most splendid days still lie ahead. Well, what Merlin said was true, you know. King Arthur's greatest days did still lie ahead. And from his round table, dozens of knights rode forth on dozens of wonderful adventures. Sometime, we'll tell you of their deeds, Sir Launcelot, Sir Galahad, and the rest. But in today's story of King Arthur and how he won his sword, the pretenders were... Uther Pendragon. Bill Lipton. Merlin. Michael O'Day. Arthur. Bob Reddick. Morgan Le Fay. Miriam Wolfe. 
Akalon. Jack Rhymes. The Archbishop. Roger Sullivan. Director. Arthur Anderson. Sir Cage. James Lee. The Lady of the Lake. Sybil Trent. And the Lady in Waiting. Gwen Davies. The original music was composed and conducted by Maurice Brown. Let's Pretend is directed by Gene Height. And today's story was written especially for this program by Johanna Johnston. And remember, Let's Pretend comes to you from New York City. So if you live nearby, do come to see a broadcast some Saturday. Just write for free tickets to CBS Radio, New York City. This is Bill Adams saying, remember to eat cream of wheat, the great American family cereal. This is CBS, Columbia Broadcasting System. Hello. Ah, we're back. Yeah. So I guessed one cream of wheat ad. You said none. They did one, and then they plugged it at the end. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. You won that. I, I I was wrong. So. That's and that's okay. Yeah. Um, a little uh, tidbit of trivia there. One of the voice actors there is somebody I was, I've been very familiar really? with. Really. Uh, Jack Grimes was the guy who was under. Uh, the guy from the end who was fighting Arthur, uh, I, yeah. I don't, I can't remember the character's name. Um, he, um, that's awesome. He, Jack Grimes, he was one of the the big. Uh, well, he did a lot of voices on a lot of sci-fi shows like Dimension X, X minus one. Uh, but he also was part of the troupe of, of voice actors that worked with. Peter Fernandez, I believe. Peter Fernandez is basically the guy who introduced anime to the United States with cartoons like wow. Speed Speed Racer yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. And and Jack Grimes was a voice actor on Speed Racer. Uh, wow. I think he played Sparky and a couple other characters on on that show. I think maybe Pops Racer. I can't remember. But wow. um, but yeah. Did so, you recognize it by voice or did immediately, you just see um, that? Immediately. Wow. And then I listened yeah, at the good end. At that. I listened at the end to see if they said Jack Grimes and yes, and he. They did. You know, I like how they entered. I uh, I never noticed that before on any of the other episodes that the cast of characters actually introduced oh, themselves. Yeah. So they that was do. Neat. Um, but yeah, that was that was pretty fun, and and of course I see the inherent problem with that. Uh, uh, the violence inherent with the system, uh, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, the firstborn, you know, that's, this is the problem with, uh, the patriarchy and, and monarchy in, in the, mm -hmm. you know, either way. Um, but yeah, the patriarchy, uh, uh, was on full, uh, hypocritical display here, uh, making the, yeah. you know, the firstborn, uh, the, who should have been the rightful queen turn her into the villain, you know? Yeah. They just immediately were like, and she's wrong. And how dare she? She should get back yeah. in the kitchen and take her shoes off. It's like, yeah. okay, she's a lady. So she's evil. But I mean, I don't think they do that anymore, but it's, it's interesting how, uh, how, uh, the next in line. Oh, except you, except you, because mm. you're not, really in line but yeah you know this was a more feudal time obviously but yeah yeah so um but yeah we've uh you know that that was that was pretty cool uh interesting uh you know and, and that's right i i think the 
Is it the sword in the stone wasn't Excalibur, but Excalibur was the one that was given to Arthur from the Lady in the Lake? Is that how it works? I think the Lady in the Lake. Are, yeah. They're not one in the but same, have right? To... I, I know. I think Adam's corrected me on this in the past. I, I get confused about it. This, but um, Fire, but, Firefox will know and tell us in about no. two seconds. So, <laughs> but you know who I was really sad did not make an appearance uh, in in this uh, episode. Yeah. Who? Bravely bold Sir Robin, brought <laughs> forth from Camelot. He was not afraid to die, oh brave Sir Robin. He was not at all afraid to be killed in nasty ways. Brave, 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 brave Sir Robin. He was not in the least bit scared to be mashed into a pulp. Or nope. to have his eyes gouged out and his elbows broken. To have his kneecap split and his body burned away. And his limbs all hacked and mangled, brave Sir Robin. His head smashed in and his heart cut out and his liver removed and his bowels unplugged and his nostrils raped and his bottom burnt off and his penis... That's, that's, uh, that's enough music for now, lads. <laughs> there you go. His nostrils rape? Who, makes, who rapes nostrils? That's messed up, man. Uh, I don't know. Up. I don't know, but for I mean, uh, nostrils aren't very big. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know they're yeah. ours, You know, <laughs> maybe that's for when your Peter's frozen. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, don't save Peter's in this house. There you go, living. Nah. Looney, wacky. Yeah. But yeah. No, that, so, well, that, that was cool. I, I we were I was scared at first because I thought I accidentally played this uh, King Arthur's son, which is the follow up we're going to get to in a bit. Um, okay. But we we could just wait until the next hour to do that. And um, no, yeah, it, definitely, definitely. And um, um, yeah, we're um. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, you go. It's your show. I was going to say when I downloaded King Arthur and King Arthur's son, I noted this, I noted their different times. So it is a different story if we're going to King Arthur's son next, regardless. So I'm excited yeah. about that. Um, but uh, we were thinking about everybody liked Peter Pan. Um, but we're kind of stuck because somebody wants to read The Mermaid's Lagoon because it's one of a favorite. And uh, I like mm -hmm. it, too. And um, <clears throat> so we're kind of saving that. But we always have Peter Pan available. But there's another story I've talked about and I've always been interested in. And um, I've read them all. Okay. There's like 10 volumes. Um, and it's a story that is fairy tale. Good one. Good stuff. And I found it. I found it read on um, the Internet Archives. Now, the Internet Archives are a really good resource. Mm -hmm. For fun stuff. And while I was running around, and you told me about it, of course. And um, while I was looking around, I found so much fun stuff. But I found um, these books that I love read out. I also found uh, Andrew Lang's fairy tales. And there are 12 books. He does 12 different books. Yowza. Um, yeah, of fairy tales. And they're called things like the Red Fairy Book, the Blue Fairy Book. And out of those 12 books, one, two, three, four, five, six, I found six. Each chapter read out without even trying. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're called the, the, I found the Red 
fairy book, the blue fairy book, the yellow fairy book, the pink fairy book, the crimson fairy book, and the brown fairy book. So that's a lot of good stuff. I couldn't believe. And I was like, wow, this is great. But I also found something that I've been into for a long, long time. And uh, we might play that next. And it's basically um, reading a chapter of the Oz books. Now, I don't know. Everybody's familiar with the Dorothy Wizard and the Oz, Wizard yeah. of Oz. And the movie from 1938. I'm going to say 1938. Something I'm along those sure. lines. It was before the Second War. You know. Yeah. Um, but a great movie. Yeah, everybody likes it. But guess what? The book that that movie was based on was written in like at the turn of the century. I forget if it was before uh, 1900, um, 1901. But after that, there were several books that the writer L. Frank Baum wrote. And one of them was The Marvelous Land of Oz. That was the one um, written right after Dorothy and the Wizard. And there was never a movie made about that book. But it is written down. And this is one of your favorites. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. So I thought that we would play that and see how that goes, see if people enjoy the, the story. Okay, well, um, why don't yeah. I play a couple promos, and then we'll launch into chapter one of that, okay? okay? All right, that sounds great. Let's promo away. Hi, this is Kenny Pick, and you're listening to Radio for Humans. Has anybody told you how good-looking you are lately? Well, they should. Oh, my good gracious me, look at that. Radioforhumans.com. Wow, this is the most beautiful enchanted forest. <laughs> well, hello, fair lass. I am a unicorn. Do you like our enchanted forest? Oh, gosh, yes. It's so beautiful and enchanted. <laughs> Thank you, lass. We like it too, yes. If you want to help keep it enchanting, you could help with the upkeep. A few dollars towards fairy lights for fairy nights on Radio for Human helps the fairy grow. Well, I can do that. How do I do it, though, gentle unicorn? Oh, sweet lass, you just go to patreon.com slash fairy lights and give what you can. A little bit of magic makes a fairy smile. I'm on my way, unicorn. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast, and you are listening to Radio for Humans, because seriously, do spiders have radio? All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 1. Tip Manufactures a Pumpkin Head 
In the country of the Gillikins, which is at the north end of the land of Oz, lived a youth called Tip. There was more to his name than that, for old Mombi often declared that his whole name was Tipitarius. But no one was expected to say such a long word when Tip would do just as well. This boy remembered nothing of his parents, for he had been brought when quite young to be reared by the old woman known as Mombi, whose reputation, I am sorry to say, was none of the best, for the Gillikin people had reason to suspect her of indulging in magical arts, and therefore hesitated to associate with her. Mombi was not exactly a witch, because the good witch who ruled that part of the land of Oz had forbidden any other witch to exist in her dominions. So Tip's guardian, however much she might aspire to working magic, realized that it was unlawful to be more than a sorceress, or, at most, a wizardess. Tip was made to carry wood from the forest, that the old woman might boil her pot. He also worked in the cornfields, hoeing and husking, and he fed the pigs and milked the four-horned cow that was Mombi's especial pride. But you must not suppose he worked all the time, for he felt that would be bad for him. When sent to the forest, Tip often climbed trees for birds' eggs, or amused himself chasing the fleet white rabbits, or fishing in the brooks with bent pins. Then he would hastily gather his armful of wood and carry it home. And when he was supposed to be working in the cornfields, and the tall stalks hid him from Mombi's view, Tip would often dig in the gopher holes, or, if the mood seized him, lie upon his back between the rows of corn and take a nap. So, by taking care not to exhaust his strength, he grew as strong and rugged as a boy may be. Mombi's curious magic often frightened her neighbors, and they treated her shyly yet respectfully because of her weird powers. But Tip frankly hated her, and took no pains to hide his feelings. Indeed, he sometimes showed less respect for the old woman than he should have, considering she was his guardian. There were pumpkins in Mombi's cornfields, lying golden red among the rows of green stalks. And these had been planted and carefully tended, that the four-horned cow might eat of them in the winter time. But one day, after the corn had all been cut and stacked, and Tip was carrying the pumpkins to the stable, he took a notion to make a jack-lantern, and try to give the old woman a fright with it. So he selected a fine big pumpkin, one with a lustrous orange-red color, and began to carve it. With the point of his knife he made two round eyes, a three-cornered nose, and a mouth shaped like a new moon. The face, when completed, could not have been considered strictly beautiful. But it wore a smile so big and broad, and was so jolly in expression, that even Tip laughed as he looked admiringly at his work. The child had no playmates, so he did not know that boys often dig out the inside of a pumpkin jack, and in the space thus made put a lighted candle to render the face more startling. But he conceived an idea of his own that promised to be quite as effective. He decided to manufacture the form of a man who would wear this pumpkin head and to stand it in a place where old Mombi would meet it face to face. 
And then, said Tip to himself with a laugh, she'll squeal louder than the brown pig does when I pull her tail, and shiver with fright worse than I did last year when I had the og. He had plenty of time to accomplish this task, for Momby had gone to a village to buy groceries, she said, and it was a journey of at least two days. So he took his axe to the forest and selected some stout, straight saplings, which he cut down and trimmed of all their twigs and leaves. From these he would make the arms and legs and feet of his man. For the body he stripped a sheet of thick bark from around a big tree, and with much labor fashioned it into a cylinder of about the right size, pinning the edges together with wooden pegs. Then, whistling happily as he worked, he carefully joined the limbs and fastened them to the body with pegs whittled into shape with his knife. By the time this feat had been accomplished, it began to grow dark, and Tip remembered he must milk the cow and feed the pigs. So he picked up his wooden man and carried it back to the house with him. During the evening, by the light of the fire in the kitchen, Tip carefully rounded all the edges of the joints and smoothed the rough places in a neat and workmanlike manner. Then he stood the figure up against the wall and admired it. It seemed remarkably tall, even for a full-grown man. But that was a good point in a small boy's eyes, and Tip did not object at all to the size of his creation. Next morning, when he looked at his work again, Tip saw he had forgotten to give the dummy a neck, by means of which he might fasten the pumpkin head to the body. So he went again to the forest, which was not far away, and chopped from a tree several pieces of wood with which to complete his work. When he returned, he fastened a cross-piece to the upper end of the body, making a hole through the center to hold upright the neck. The bit of wood which formed this neck was also sharpened at the upper end, and when all was ready, Tip put on the pumpkin head, pressing it well down onto the neck, and found that it fitted very well. The head could be turned to one side or the other as he pleased, and the hinges of the arms and legs allowed him to place the dummy in any position he desired. Now that, declared Tip proudly, is really a very fine man and it ought to frighten several screeches out of old Mombi. But it would be much more lifelike if it were properly dressed. To find clothing seemed no easy task, but Tip boldly ransacked the great chest in which Mombi kept all her keepsakes and treasures, and at the very bottom he discovered some purple trousers, a red shirt, and a pink vest, which was dotted with white spots. These he carried away to his man, and succeeded, although the garments did not fit very well, in dressing the creature in a jaunty fashion. Some knit stockings, belonging to Mombi, and a much-worn pair of his own shoes completed the man's apparel. And Tip was so delighted that he danced up and down, and laughed aloud in boyish ecstasy. "'I must give him a name,' he cried. "'So good a man as this must surely have a name.' I believe, he added, after a moment's thought, I will name the fellow Jack Pumpkinhead. End chapter 1
Oh, there I forgot go. the transition music because I was too busy looking for <laughs> gifts. <laughs> <laughs> gifts, yeah. So was I looking for uh, Jack Pumpkinhead gifts. Yeah. So. No such thing. There are some Return to Oz ones, but no, there's none of him. Uh, yeah. So, that's but the no, way gifts are. But no, that's really fun. I, you know, it's it's kind of like um, it's kind of like Frankenstein for kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm you making know a it's, golem. You know that. Go ahead. I said I'm making a golem. Yeah. Well, you know that he's going to come to life. Am I? Am I giving away too much? Forget it. I'm doing it. Oh. Um. Yeah. But you, it, you know, it. it's it's one of those things where yeah, he does make a golem. He does make a character, but it's not scary to me. It's not. There's a lot of stuff about Oz that's not scary, and I like that. But it is like he's making Frankenstein's monster or well, a golem or it's, something it's, awful. It's the exact. I mean, you know, Jack Pumpkinhead is a golem. He's, he's something that's right. cra crafted from, you know, in especially like in Dungeons and Dragons, they classify golems, and mm -hmm. um, and he's he would be considered a, a patchwork golem. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, and weren't there problems with his head rotting and it had to be replaced every once in a while? It's true. Okay. He's got to replace it every once in a while. Yeah. But. So, how does he I did not remember memories? that he left the seeds in there, so. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, and there's I, a, there's a lot of different things in Oz where, oh yeah, well, we just replace things like, you know, the Tin Woodsman, he cut off his hand, they replaced it. He cut off his leg. They replaced it, you know? Yeah. At one point, at what point, you know, the logic does not go in. At what point is there too much cut off for this guy to, you know, to keep replacing everything with tin? But, hey. Yeah. So, oh, well, uh, of course, this is, you know, this is a magical land. So yes. you, you, you can't... Um, you a know. delightful magical land. Yeah, you you can't. Uh, 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 they they operate under a different uh, different laws of physics, as it were. Yeah, it's it's really the marvelous land of Oz. Super, so that was chapter one. I'm excited. I do um like the book, uh, and uh, like I said, I, I've I've read it several times. So you've been introduced to Tip, Jack mm -hmm. Pumpkinhead. And the Wicked Witch of Mombi. And what is Tip's full name again? Do you remember? Uh, they they said it Tipperaneous. Yeah. So. Something, but I somewhere in here. Prob <laughs> oh, right there. I can see it right there. I have the marvelous. I have the Who's Who of Oz. That's ah. the only Who's Who I have. Okay. Is the Who's Who of Oz, because well, I don't go. care about anything else. <laughs> Well, um, I, I vote yes, so let's keep going with this, uh, you know, uh, fill-in series until Peter Pan returns, and, um, yeah. uh, because this is, this is fun, um, and definitely mm -hmm. in the genre of fantasy and fairy tales, but, uh, I think, uh, we should take a break and check out the Green News okay. Report. Ah, good, good, thank you so much. And, yeah, so we'll... Yeah, we do like to keep up with break. Green News Report, because... Fairies love green news. Well, you know, uh, fairy rings don't form around toxic waste dumps. No, they don't. 
So, uh, but yeah, so that's gonna, and then we'll have uh, the sequel to King Arthur. Let's see how many similarities it has, uh, if any voice actors return that we note, uh, notice, or or themes from the story of King Arthur and King Arthur's son uh, mm -hmm. after the break. So I'm excited about this uh, to learn more about. Uh, uh, Arthur from the court of Camelot is here. Yeah. So there we'll you learn, go. Learn as much as we can. All right. All right. Green News Report. Six minutes. It's Tuesday, April 13, 2021. We only had around 25 to 50% of the normal precipitation. That doesn't set us up well as we head into dry season. U.S. West sinks deeper into drought, setting up dangerous fire season. California unveils sweeping wildfire prevention plan. Plus, NOAA expects an above-average 2021 hurricane season and redefines the new normal. All of those redefinitions and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Biden's also got a plan for U.S. infrastructure that would cover transportation, broadband, the electric grid, and housing fix 20,000 miles of roads and 10,000 bridges, and eliminate lead pipes from the nation's water supplies. I'd say they'd thrown in everything but the kitchen sink, but the kitchen sink has lead pipes, so it's in there too. Perfect. I'll take it. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, you say we are in for an above-normal hurricane season. Does that mean... A worse-than-normal hurricane season? It could be. After a record-destructive hurricane season in 2020 that pushed storm names into the Greek alphabet, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration now predicts that 2021 will also be above normal, and they've updated the definition of normal to reflect new data. It is official. More tropical storms are developing during the Atlantic hurricane season than in prior decades, fueled by warming ocean temperatures. Normal previously used to mean an average of six full-blown hurricanes in a single season. Now, Noah says, it is seven. Oh, well, that's not too bad. Just one more? <laughs> Unless you're the one getting hit by the hurricane. I guess. It's the opposite problem in the U.S. West, sinking deeper into drought. It's only April, but parts of the West are already at midsummer levels of dryness. Mm. The U.S. Drought Monitor announced that 60% of the western U.S. is under severe to exceptional drought in New Mexico. The last 12 months have been the driest period in 120 years of record-keeping. Mm. Southwestern states are bracing for new water cutbacks along the over-allocated Colorado River. Years of unrelenting drought and rising temperatures caused by man-made global warming have pushed the river into new territory, setting up the largest mandatory water cutbacks on record for a river that serves millions of people in seven western states. Because of the deepening drought, scientists fear that 
that the 2021 fire season could be as destructive as last year's when both California and Colorado experienced record fire seasons. Today, California's mountain snowpack is less than 60 percent of normal and its major reservoirs are only half full. Colorado's snowpack is melting now earlier than usual. New studies show that global warming is lengthening dry spells and shrinking snowpack even in winter. CBS News meteorologist Jeff Berardelli explains that even if the West received more rain and snow, it would still not be enough. As temperatures increase, the evaporation overwhelms that. So unless we can stop global warming and climate change in its tracks, it's not going to be a great future for the West unless they can come up with some really phenomenal ways to manage this. Well, I just say that we stop global warming in its tracks, just like he suggests. (laughs) In California, a prosecutor has filed 33 new criminal charges against the investor-owned utility Pacific Gas and Electric Uh over the 2019 Kincaid fire, which was ignited by PG&E's aging, faulty electrical equipment. The fire injured six firefighters, destroyed hundreds of homes, and forced the evacuation of nearly 200,000 people. And yet California has still not just taken over PG&E like they're going to have to eventually? No, they have not. California's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom and state lawmakers have agreed to a sweeping wildfire prevention plan allocating half a billion dollars to boost firefighting efforts and a variety of other measures, including vegetation management and retrofitting older homes for fire resistance. Half a billion dollars? Where are we going to get half a billion dollars? Luckily, because of tax increases that voters passed in previous ballot propositions, California now has some money to use toward fire prevention. Well, fancy that. The state is also adding massive utility-scale batteries for energy storage to reduce the impact of planned power shutoffs that are intended to prevent electrical equipment from igniting fires. Nice. The state Senate President Pro Tem says, quote, every dollar we spend on wildfire prevention saves our state six to seven dollars in damage. Very smart. What's gotten into these people? Finally, some very good news. In a last-minute settlement, two huge electric vehicle battery makers have reached a nearly $2 billion global settlement of a trade secrets case, which allows a new billion-dollar electric vehicle battery manufacturing plant to go forward in Georgia. That plant will supply batteries for Ford and Volkswagen electric vehicles. Without the settlement, the factory would have been blocked, costing thousands of jobs in a crucial swing state and threatening the supply of batteries for new EVs. Excellent. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. It is I, Arthur, son of Uther Pendragon from the castle of Camelot, king of the Britons, defeater of the Saxons, sovereign of all England. Pull the other one. I am, and this is my trusty servant, Patsy. We have ridden the length and breadth of the land in search of knights who will join me in my court at Camelot. I must speak with your lord and master. What, ridden on a horse? Yes. You're using coconuts. 
What? You've got two empty halves of coconut and you're banging them together. So? We have ridden since the snows of winter covered this land. Through the kingdom of Mercia, through... Where'd you get the coconuts? We found them. Found them? In Mercia, the coconut's tropical. What do you mean? Well, this is a temperate zone. The swallow may fly south with the sun, or the house martin or the plover may seek warmer climes in winter, yet these are not strangers to our land. Are you suggesting coconuts migrate? Not at all. They could be carried. What? A swallow carrying a coconut? It could grip it by the husk. It's not a question of where he grips it. It's a simple question of weight ratios. A five-ounce bird could not carry a one-pound coconut. Well, it doesn't matter. Will you go and tell your master that Arthur from the court of Camelot is here? Listen, in order to maintain airspeed velocity, a swallow needs to beat its wings 43 times every second, right? Please! Am I right? I'm not interested. It could be carried by an African swallow. Oh, yeah, an African swallow may be, but not a European swallow, that's my point. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Will you ask your master if he wants to join my court at Camelot? But then, of course, uh, African swallows are non-migratory. Oh, yeah, so they couldn't bring a coconut back anyway. Wait a minute, supposing two swallows carried it together? No, they don't have it on a line. Well, simple. They just use a strand of creeper. What, held under the dorsal guiding feathers? Well, why not? Strand a creeper. Yes. Yes. Creeper. So, uh, again, we've got two episodes of Let's Pretend. This one, I don't know anything mm -hmm. about King Arthur's son. I don't know anything about it. I just found it. I thought it was neat. Sure, sure. I like to learn stuff, so. I do, too. That's what this Foxfire show is. Foxfire and I were talking about, about the wheelers. The, oh, oh yeah. there she's got a picture. Oh, my god. That's gosh. a good one. That's a good picture. Yeah, they're so cute. Yeah. They kind of in the movie, they just kind of attached a 10 speed to a guy, which is cool, too. No, but... that's like, uh, that's, those are actually independent wheels uh, that, you know, yeah. they're, I'm sure there's some kind of crazy rigging. Can you imagine? We You'd have to be one hell of an athlete to, to control yourself on on four independent wheels on each limb you know one on each limb well you know yeah if you were born like that that would be that would be crazy i love roller skates but <laughs> now you're making me think about having roller skates on my hands yeah well uh and i'm i'm looking at the original one the original one is, is pretty pretty great uh, yeah, he's a and, cutie. And the the one from the movie it looks a little steampunk. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah. no, that's that's awesome. Uh, maybe we should yeah. save the. Well, no, we need something Arthurian for uh, the show art for tonight. Oh well, actually, I think we have. We're probably about ready to have a reveal for our show art for the evening mm. from uh, our good friend. Um, Foxfire five oh five. No way. Yeah, I think Foxfire should be a fill-in uh, host if she's got a microphone set up on Discord. Uh, she should be a fill-in. I host. didn't know she had a microphone. Does so, she have a microphone? Uh, well, she, well, I'm. I know I've spoken to her. This. I've spoken to her before um, mm -hmm. on my old talk show, uh, but I think that was a phone call. So, but if you got a if you got a headset and a mic or something, and you want to be a special guest co-host, well, Zelda's at. Uh, 
uh, blue waving things, um, you know, let us know. That would be great. So yeah, because I'm not going to be be able to do every uh, fill in, and hopefully yeah. uh, some other folks can can pitch in. I think uh, maybe Michelle and possibly uh, Joe might be able to help out. We'll, we'll nice. find out. So, nice. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And uh, but um, first priority to the people that have been watching the show. But yeah, yeah, and listening, especially like Foxfire and donating art was has has been awesome the whole time. Oh yeah, because her artwork has really kept my spirits up during this quarantine. These are hard times. These are hard times for people. But I appreciate you know? her letting me uh, uh, color some in too. Uh, yeah, you know for it. So, um, but uh, but yeah, uh, no, you've got a great voice, Foxfire. I know that, so <laughs> it wouldn't be weird. Just a conversation. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just talking on my um, my Apple laptop here. The 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 I find that that's that's fine. I'm just talking towards the microphone, and then Ken's yeah. got the real microphone. But I don't know. Think about it. But um, should we go back to Avalon? I mean. I don't know if we're going to Avalon. Oh, Avalon. Well. Avalon. Yeah. Uh, let's get yeah. Brian Ferry in the Roxy Music Gang in here to let us know. I so, wish, yeah. But, all right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, kiddo, uh, we, we've got our three-headed three uh, uh, sea beastie, kiddo. Oh, he's come back, yay. Inspired by an abundance of leftover Easter candy, kiddo amasses an impressive army of chocolate rabbits. <laughs> Gosh. That is great. We've got, we've got one we haven't dug into. We have one, uh, Ken and I have one chocolate Easter bunny between us that we still have not opened. But that was always one of my favorite things about Easter. And sometimes they were hollow because a chocolate Easter bunny full of chocolate is too much. But mm -hmm. I always loved the ones that weren't hollow as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he don't right. just swallows things whole like a snake, man. I know he's great. So he's uh, awesome. But uh, yeah, Tennessee also thinks he's a snake with legs. <laughs> just so everybody knows. Uh, so all right, the kiddo art has been saved, and uh, nice. I'll work Good on job. the show art while we're listening to uh, King Arthur's son. So. Um, but no, great job as always, Foxfire, and thanks for so that's a cute. that's a so cute. Thanks to Living for uh, for the idea for that one. That's very cool. Aww. So teamwork makes the nice. dream work. Yeah. So makes the fantasy world all the better when yeah. you're a three-headed monster, just gulping down tiny chocolate bunny. <laughs> yeah, she's cute. It's God an army. Dang it! It's an army of chocolate rabbits. Mm. So, uh, but yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, I wonder what kiddo's three voices are. What? I wonder what kiddo's three voices are. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe he's got three voices, too. Yeah. Do they have accents? Yeah. So, um, but, uh, all right, well, uh, before it gets much later, we should probably run uh, the sequel to King Arthur in uh, mm -hmm. Modred. I think Adam said Modred uh, is the... Uh, son of king arthur but uh let's find out and um we're gonna make sure there might possibly be a glitch with this audio if, if it accident i'm i'm worried it might have gotten saved as the other file but we'll see 
Uh, but I, I think I, I listened to at least the, the intro of it, and it sounded different than the other one. But here's uh, mm-hmm. Let's Pretend, King Arthur's Son. American Family Cereal presents Let's Pretend. <laughs> Hello, pretenders. Hello, well, it's a story about King Arthur today. So, Gwen, whose turn is to say how we travel to Let's Pretend? Oh, Bill Lipton hasn't said for a long time. Well, if we're going back more than a thousand years to the days of King Arthur, we'll have to travel fast. I choose a jet plane. Oh! Oh, a jet plane it is, Bill. Okay, one, two, three. And there we are. Into the cabin, everybody. Fasten your safety harness and oxygen mask at the ready. Let's go. Once upon a time, a thousand years ago and more, England had a wonderful king named Arthur. His story begins when his father, King Uther Pendragon, whose first wife was dead, fell in love with the queen of a nearby kingdom. But there was one difficulty after another, and finally Uther Pendragon had to get help from his court magician, Merlin. You will help me. All right, that is the same exact story, so let me just go double-check. And um, same uh, exact gosh darn story with a different time schedule. Yeah, well, they got so us, didn't they? They sure did. Uh, and that's okay. Yeah, so we, you know we've got backup. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna see ba ba ba, and um, I'm just gonna look real quick. Why don't you Why don't you vamp a little? Talk about something. Uh, maybe talk about whatever you like. Okay. Uh, like I said, um, I've got lots of things I'm I'm excited about going on with the Oz and the Oz chapters. But I have um, lots of things in blue there, Ken. Um, mm-hmm. Some stories from the Celtic. Um, some Scottish. Usually at the beginning it says, like, either Lang, which is Andrew Lang and the fairy books, the different colors of fairy books, or um, I've got a Scottish tale. No, I just, Jewish I mean, just talk tales, about any, some... any old, any old uh, uh, topic uh, that's on your mind because I'm downloading uh, the story that might be the proper one. And then oh, I'm going okay. to load it up. But uh, I've got. Uh, I've got it. So let's see if uh, let's see if this one is not the same thing. Uh, let's um, let's give it a shot. Okay. We look, we did so good 
to eat it, we have it every day. We sing this song, it will make us strong, and it makes us shout, hooray! It's good for growing babies and grown-ups too to eat. For all the family's breakfast, you can't beat cream of wheat. Cream of wheat, the great American family cereal presents Let's Pretend. Well, it's a story about King Arthur today. So, Gwen, whose turn is to say how we... Okay, so what has happened here is someone (laughs) listened to this story and they confused this as being... they, They thought King Arthur's dad was King Arthur... And they mm-hmm. called it King Arthur's son. It is not King Arthur's son. This is the story of King Arthur. So what this is, is this is somebody not understanding um, the story well enough to differentiate between <laughs> Arthur's father's name. It's a gosh darn shame. And yeah, they, so, they recorded it with different time signatures, so I assumed they were different stories. Uh, it just meant there was so, dead, a little more dead air at hurtful. the beginning of one recording than hurtful. at the other. So, yeah, uh, yeah. but anyway, well, it's it's twenty after, so we we we've got some other stuff here. Um, yeah, let's pick something so different. But you said there was something uh, in here um, about on Merlin. On Merlin, yeah. So let me. And it's a little lower. I think it's not the first column, but the second column. And it said uh, the fairies and Merlin and the crag. Ah, okay. Scottish Fairies of Merlin's Crag. Yeah, the Fairies of Merlin's Crag, and that's got to be different, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, it's it's, uh, ten minutes long, so let's uh, give this a listen. Chapter 13 of the Scottish Fairy Book by Elizabeth W. Grierson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Fairies of Merlin's Crag. About two hundred years ago there was a poor man working as a laborer on a farm in Lanarkshire. He was what is known as an auto-man, that is, he had no special work mapped out for him to do, but he was expected to undertake odd jobs of any kind that happened to turn up. One day his master sent him out to cast peats on a piece of moorland that lay on a certain part of the farm. Now this strip of moorland ran up at one end to a curiously shaped crag, known as Merlin's Crag, because, so the country folk said, that famous enchanter had once taken up his abode there. The man obeyed, and being a willing fellow, when he arrived at the moor he set to work with all his might and main. He had lifted quite a quantity of peat from near the crag, when he was startled by the appearance of the very smallest woman that he had ever seen in his life. She was only about two feet high, and she was dressed in a green gown and red stockings, and her long yellow hair was not bound by any ribbon, but hung loosely round her shoulders. She was such a dainty little creature that the astonished countryman stopped working, stuck his spade into the ground, and gazed at her in wonder. His wonder increased when she held up one of her tiny fingers and addressed him in these words, "'What wast thou think if I were to send my husband to uncover thy house. Your mortals think that you can do aught that pleaseth you. Then, stamping her tiny foot, she added in a voice of command, 
Put back that turf instantly, or thou shalt rue this day. Now the poor man had often heard of the fairy folk, and of the harm that they could work to unthinking mortals who offended them. So in fear and trembling he set to work to undo all his labor and to place every divot in the exact spot from which he had taken it. When he was finished, he looked round for his strange visitor, but she had vanished completely, and he could not tell how nor where. Putting up his spade, he wended his way homewards, and going straight to his master, he told him the whole story, and suggested that in future the peach should be taken from the other end of the moor. But the master only laughed. He was a strong, hardy man, and had no belief in ghosts or elves or fairies, or any other creatures that he could not see. And although he laughed, he was vexed that his servant should believe in such things. So to cure him, as he thought of his superstition, he ordered him to take a horse and cart and go back at once and lift all the peats and bring them to dry in the farmsteading. The poor man obeyed with much reluctance and was greatly relieved as weeks went on to find that in spite of his having done so, no harm befell him. In fact, he began to think that his master was right, and that the whole thing must have been a dream. So matters went smoothly on, winter passed, and spring and summer, until autumn came round once more, and the very day arrived on which the peats had been lifted the year before. That day, as the sun went down, the Aura man left the farm to go home to his cottage, and as his master was pleased with him, because he had been working very hard lately, he had given him a little can of milk as a present to carry home to his wife. So he was feeling very happy, and as he walked along he was humming a tune to himself. His road took him by the foot of Merlin's crag, and as he approached it he was astonished to find himself growing strangely tired. His eyelids dropped over his eyes as if he were going to sleep, and his feet grew as heavy as lead. I will sit down and take a rest for a few minutes, he said to himself. The road home never seems so long as it does today. So he sat down on a tuft of grass right under the shadow of the crag, and before he knew where he was, he had fallen into a deep and heavy slumber. When he awoke, it was near midnight, and the moon had risen on the crag, and he rubbed his eyes, when by its soft light he became aware of a large band of fairies who were dancing round and round him, singing and laughing, pointing their tiny fingers at him, and shaking their wee fists in his face. The bewildered man rose and tried to walk away from them, but turn in whichever direction he would, the fairies accompanied him, encircling him in a magic ring, out of which he could in no wise go. At last they stopped, and with shrieks of elfin laughter, led the prettiest and daintiest of their companions up to him, and cried, Thread a measure, thread a measure. Oh, man, then wilt thou not be so eager to escape from our company. Now the poor laborer was but a clumsy dancer, and he held back with a shamefaced air. But the fairy, who had been chosen to be his partner, reached up and seized his hands, and, lo, some strange magic seemed to enter into his veins, for in a moment... He found himself waltzing and whirling, sliding and bowing as if he had done nothing else but dance all his life. And, strangest thing of all, he forgot about his home and his children 
and he felt so happy that he had no longer the slightest desire to leave the fairy's company. All night long the merriment went on. The little folk danced and danced as if they were mad, and the farm man danced with them, until at last a shrill sound came over the moor. It was the cock from the farmyard crowing its loudest to welcome the dawn. In an instant the revelry ceased, and the fairies, with cries of alarm, crowded together, and rushed towards the crag, dragging the countrymen along in their midst. As they reached the rock, a mysterious door, which he never remembered having seen before, opened in it of its own accord, and shut again with a crash as soon as the fairy host had all trooped through. The door led into a large, dimly lighted hall full of tiny couches, and here the little folks sank to rest, tired out with their exertions, while the good man sat down on a piece of rock in the corner, wondering what would happen next. But there seemed to be some kind of spell thrown over his senses, for even when the fairies awoke and began to go about their household occupations, and to carry out certain curious practices which he had never seen before, and which, as you will hear, he was forbidden to speak of afterwards, he was content to sit and watch them, without in any way attempting to escape. As it drew toward evening, someone touched his elbow, and he turned round with a start to see the little woman, with the green dress and scarlet stockings, who had remonstrated with him for lifting the turf the year before, standing by his side. "'The divots which thou tookest from the roof of my house have grown once more,' she said, "'and once more it is covered with grass, so thou canst go home again, for justice is satisfied. Thy punishment hath lasted long enough, but first must thou take thy solemn oath never to tell to mortal ears what thou hast seen, whilst thou hast dwelt among us.' The countryman promised gladly, and took the oath with all due solemnity. Then the door was opened, and he was at liberty to depart. His can of milk was standing on the green, just where he had laid it down when he went to sleep, and it seemed to him as if it were only yesternight that the farmer had given it to him. But when he reached his home he was speedily undeceived, for his wife looked at him as if he were a ghost and the children whom he had left wee toddling things were now well-grown boys and girls who stared at him as if he had been an utter stranger. "'Where hast thou been these long, long years?' cried his wife, when she had gathered her wits and seen that it was really he and not a spirit. "'And how couldst thou find it in thy heart to leave the bairns and me alone?' And then he knew that the one day he had passed in fairyland had lasted seven whole years, and he realized how heavy the punishment had been which the wee folk had laid upon him. End of chapter 13 all right. Oops. Seven years. Seven years he lost. I'm telling you. That, that's, uh, that's like breaking a, rat, uh, breaking a mirror. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, she said that she let she let him go once uh, her the sod had grown back over her house. So, yeah, it, <clears throat> that it, took seven years. Don't mess around with uh, other people's turf. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's always a misunderstanding, though. It's a kid, turf you war. know. You don't. How would you know? How would you know? 
Uh, you know, so. uh, you, I guess you don't know until you until you mess around in somebody else's turf. So, <laughs> <laughs> literally, someone else's yeah. turf. But yeah, well, no, that was fun. You know, I, 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 she did a really good Scottish accent too, which was nice. You know, uh, yeah. so, uh, she she's one of the better readers uh, that I've heard on uh, mm-hmm. litter bo- litter box. I know everybody likes to say liver box. I like saying litter box recordings. Uh, <laughs> I like to say LibraVox because it's book voice. Come on, yeah. guys. LibraVox. Come on. I you know, know it's LibraVox. We're just being silly. You're I just, silly. I, I just want to hear kitties read stories. Uh, we call it LitterBox recordings. <laughs> that would be adorable. Yeah. All the cats left, by the way. Oh. They were. Our boys were doing a little cuddle. <laughs> our boys were doing a little cuddle on the couch in here with me. Well, kitten cuddle. But so. They're done. So, They're done. Yeah. Um. But no. My apologies to everybody for uh, the uh, goof up with the the King Arthur uh, thing. I, I can't believe that person coded that as King Arthur's son because it was not story of yeah. King Arthur's son. Um. They He's just more like King her. Arthur as a son. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> so. But. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh Foxfire, you're funny. Um, yeah, so we we could do another one. We got another half an hour. Um, we we do. could do another chapter two of the land, the marvelous land of Oz, or that we could is, do that a is, wide variety of blue of blue things. Well, the marvelous land of Oz is 13 minutes and 20 seconds, so that will put us at. Um, you know, about uh, yeah, an extra ten minutes of show time. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, I I think we could just uh go with that. Uh, maybe we'll run another another promo. Uh, we haven't heard uh, yeah. the um uh yeah. Let's let's go ahead and do that. We'll we'll do another yeah. promo and then I'll just uh jump right into the other LibriVox recording. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, a genie! Hello! I'm a genie from this enchanted lamp. What are your three wishes? Oh, gosh! I just wish that Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights could keep bringing quality original content to the internet, even during a pandemic. (laughs) You don't have to waste a wish for that. You can just go to patreon.com slash fairylights and give what you can. Any little bit helps. Well, you got it, Genie. Now, let's talk about my army of unicorns and my forever home kitten sanctuary. Hey everybody, Kenny Pick coming at you on RadioForHumans.com. This goes against every rule of broadcast journalism I know. Don't change that dial. Find Radio for Humans on TuneIn. I used to be number one in this town, but people don't listen to AM like they used to. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. That's stupid. It sure is. And be sure to visit RadioForHumans.com for more information. 
This is the internet. LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 2 The Marvelous Powder of Life. After considering the matter carefully, Tip decided that the best place to locate Jack would be at the bend in the road a little way from the house. So he started to carry his man there, but found him heavy and rather awkward to handle. After dragging the creature a short distance, Tip stood him on his feet, and by first bending the joints of one leg, and then those of the other, at the same time pushing from behind, the boy managed to induce Jack to walk to the bend in the road. It was not accomplished without a few tumbles, and Tip really worked harder than he ever had in the fields or forest. But a love of mischief urged him on, and it pleased him to test the cleverness of his workmanship. "'Jack's all right and works fine,' he said to himself, panting with the unusual exertion. But just then he discovered that the man's left arm had fallen off in the journey, so he went back to find it, and afterward by whittling a new and stouter pin for the shoulder joint, he repaired the injury so successfully that the arm was stronger than before. Tip also noticed that Jack's pumpkin head had twisted around until it faced his back, but this was easily remedied. When at last the man was set up facing the turn in the path where old Mombi was to appear, he looked natural enough to be a fair imitation of a Gillikin farmer and unnatural enough to startle anyone that came on him unawares. As it was yet too early in the day to expect the old woman to return home, Tip went down into the valley below the farmhouse and began to gather nuts from the trees that grew there. However, old Mombi returned earlier than usual. She had met a crooked wizard who resided in a lonely cave in the mountains and had traded several important secrets of magic with him. Having in this way secured three recipes, four magical powders, and a selection of herbs of wonderful power and potency, she hobbled home as fast as she could in order to test her new sorceries. So intent was Mombi on the treasures she had gained that when she turned the bend in the road and caught a glimpse of the man she merely nodded and said, "'Good evening, sir.' But a moment after, Noting that the person did not move or reply, she cast a shrewd glance into his face and discovered his pumpkin head elaborately carved by Tip's jackknife. Yeah, <laughs> ejaculated Mombi, giving a sort of grunt. That rascally boy's been playing tricks again. Very good, very good. I'll beat him black and blue for trying to scare me in this fashion. Angrily she raised her stick to smash in the grinning pumpkin head of the dummy, but a sudden thought made her pause. The uplifted stick left motionless in the air. "'Why, here's a good chance to try my new powder,' said she eagerly, "'and then I can tell whether the crooked wizard has fairly traded secrets, or whether he has fooled me as wickedly as I fooled him.' So she set down her basket, and began fumbling in it, for one of the precious powders she had obtained. 
While Mombi was thus occupied, Tip strolled back with his pockets full of nuts, and discovered the old woman standing beside his man, and apparently not the least bit frightened by it. At first he was generally disappointed, but the next moment he became curious to know what Mombi was going to do. So he hid behind a hedge. There he could see without being seen, and prepared to watch. After some search, the woman drew from her basket an old pepper box, upon the faded label of which the wizard had written with a lead pencil, "Powder of Life." Ah, here it is! She cried joyfully. And now let us see if it is potent. The stringy wizard didn't give me much of it, but I guess there's enough for two or three doses. Tip was much surprised when he overheard this speech. Then he saw old Mombi raise her arm, and sprinkle the powder from the box over the pumpkin head of his man Jack. She did this in the same way one would pepper a baked potato, and the powder sifted down from Jack's head and scattered over the red shirt and pink waistcoat and purple trousers Tip had dressed him in, and a portion even fell on the patched and worn shoes. Then. Putting the pepper box back into the basket, Mombi lifted her left hand with its little finger pointed upward and said, "Wah!" Then she lifted her right hand with the thumb pointed upward and said, "Tah!" Then she lifted both hands with all the fingers and thumbs spread out and cried, "Tah!" Jack Pumpkinhead stepped back a pace at this and said in a reproachful voice, "Don't yell like that! Do you think I'm deaf?" Old Mombi danced around him, frantic with delight. He lives! She screamed. He lives! He lives! Then she threw her stick into the air and caught it as it came down. And she hugged herself with both arms and tried to do a step of a jig. And all the time she repeated rapturously, "He lives! He lives! He lives!" Now you may well suppose that Tip observed all this with amazement. At first, he was so frightened and horrified that he wanted to run away, but his legs trembled and shook so badly that he couldn't. Then it struck him as a very funny thing for Jack to come to life, especially as the expression on his pumpkin face was so droll and comical it excited laughter on the instant. So, recovering from his first fear, Tip began to laugh. And the merry peals reached old Mombi's ears and made her hobble quickly to the hedge, where she seized Tip's collar and dragged him back where she had left her basket and the pumpkin-headed man. "You naughty, sneaking, wicked boy!" she exclaimed furiously. "I'll teach you to spy out my secret to make fun of me." "I wasn't making fun of you," protested Tip. "I was laughing at old Pumpkinhead. Look at him! Isn't he a picture, though?" I hope you're not reflecting on my personal appearance," said Jack. And it was so funny to hear his grave voice while his face continued to wear its jolly smile that Tip burst into a peal of laughter. Even Mombi was not without a curious interest in the man her magic had brought to life, for after staring at him intently, she presently asked, "What do you know?" "Well, it's hard to tell," replied Jack. For although I feel that I know a tremendous lot, I am not yet aware how much there is in the world to find out about. It will take me a little time to discover whether I am very wise or very foolish. To be sure," said Mombi thoughtfully.
"'What are you going to do with him now that he's alive?' asked Tip, wondering. "'I must think it over,' answered Mombi. "'But we must get home at once, for it is growing dark. Help the pumpkin-head to walk.' "'Never mind me,' said Jack. "'I can walk as well as you can.' "'Haven't I got legs and feet, and aren't they jointed?' "'Are they?' asked the woman, turning to Tip. "'Of course they are. I made them myself.' returned the boy with pride. So they started for the house, but when they reached the farmyard, old Mombi led the pumpkin-man to the cow-stable, and shut him up in an empty stall, fastening the door securely on the outside. "'I've got to attend to you first, she said, nodding her head at Tip. Hearing this, the boy became uneasy, for he knew Mombi had a bad and revengeful heart, and would not hesitate to do any evil thing. They entered the house. It was a round, dome-shaped structure, as are nearly all the farmhouses in the land of Oz. Mombi bade the boy light a candle while she put her basket in a cupboard and hung her cloak on a peg. Tip obeyed quickly, for he was afraid of her. After the candle had been lighted, Mombi ordered him to build a fire in the hearth, and while Tip was thus engaged the old woman ate her supper. When the flames began to crackle, the boy came to her and asked a share of the bread and cheese, but Mombi refused him. "'I'm hungry,' said Tip in a sulky voice. "'You won't be hungry long,' replied Mombi with a grim look. The boy didn't like this speech, for it sounded like a threat, but he happened to remember that he had nuts in his pocket, so he cracked some of those and ate them while the woman rose, shook the crumbs from her apron, and hung above the fire a small black kettle. Then she measured out equal parts of milk and vinegar, and poured them into the kettle. Next she produced several packets of herbs and powders, and began adding a portion of each to the contents of the kettle. Occasionally she would draw near the candle, and read from a yellow paper the recipe of the mess she was concocting. As Tip watched her, his uneasiness increased. "'What is that for?' he asked. "'For you,' returned Mombi briefly. Tip wriggled around upon his stool and stared a while at the kettle which was beginning to bubble. Then he would glance at the stern and wrinkled features of the witch, and wish he were any place but in that dim and smoky kitchen, where even the shadows cast by the candle upon the wall were enough to give one the horrors. So an hour passed away, during which the silence was only broken by the bubbling of the pot and the hissing of the flames. Finally Tip spoke again. "'Have I got to drink that stuff?' he asked, nodding toward the pot. "'Yes,' said Mombi. "'What will it do to me?' asked Tip. "'If it's properly made,' replied Mombi, "'it will change or transform you into a marble statue.' Tip groaned and wiped perspiration from his forehead with his sleeve. "'I don't want to be a marble statue,' he protested. "'That doesn't matter. I want you to be one,' said the old woman, looking at him severely. "'What use will I be then?' asked Tip. "'There won't be any one to work for you.' "'I'll make the pumpkin-head work for me,' said Mombi. Again Tip groaned. "'Why don't you change me into a goat or a chicken?' he asked anxiously. "'You can't do anything with a marble statue.' "'Oh, yes, I can,' returned Mombi. 
I'm going to plant a flower garden next spring, and I'll put you in the middle of it for an ornament. I wonder I haven't thought of that before. You've been a bother to me for years. At this terrible speech, Tip felt the beads of perspiration starting all over his body. But he sat still and shivered and looked anxiously at the kettle. Perhaps it won't work, he muttered, in a voice that sounded weak and discouraged. Oh, I think it will, answered Momby cheerfully. I seldom make a mistake. Again there was a period of silence. A silence so long and gloomy that when Momby finally lifted the kettle from the fire it was close to midnight. You cannot drink it until it has become quite cold, announced the old witch. For in spite of the law she had acknowledged practicing witchcraft. We must both go to bed now, and at daybreak I will call you and at once complete your transformation into a marble statue. With this she hobbled into her room, bearing the steaming kettle with her, and Tip heard her close and lock the door. The boy did not go to bed as he had been commanded to do, but still sat glaring at the embers of the dying fire. Oh, Mombi admitted to witchcraft. Yeah. Chapter two. Yeah, well, she is a witch. What was it? She was, what was she giving him vinegar? What was that? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I know you, uh, you guys were talking about the vinegar thing. I, uh, I got a yeah, little distracted, I but I did enjoy it. I, you know, t Tip, yeah. uh, t Tip seems like a fun character. Yeah, you'll like him more later. You'll find out more. Yeah. Anything could happen. And, you know, he created Jack Jack Pumpkinhead, and I had no idea of this uh, until... Until... Until tonight. an hour ago. Half yeah. an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, and, and I, I, I do really enjoy this. Uh, so this is this is fun. I, I, I do like Peter Pan, but I think I kind of like the Oz stuff because... The characters in the world seem a lot more sprawling, and I really enjoy that, you know? Yeah, they are. Uh, they, that's the thing. Like, it's very character-driven, and uh, I always loved that when I was a kid. And mm -hmm. uh, we're just meeting more different people, and they all have their own little stories, and they all have their own little places. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, the Peter Pan stories, it's, it's less about Neverland and more about Peter Pan Whereas the yeah. Oz books are more about the land and the inhabitants of it. You know, Oz yeah. doesn't exist solely yeah. for one character, you know? Yeah. And I'm, and not, I'm think... not putting down Peter Pan for that. I'm just saying it just has a more of an appeal because it really feels like world building, you know, and, you know, with character building as a secondary thing, which is, is something that I always like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that, um, yeah, Peter Pan is kind of a story of different characters interacting. But in a way, I always felt like Oz was a, a picture of society. Yeah, like, I can see that. They're taking an individual character from a land that's in this situation and their their need to solve a problem mm -hmm. and go to another area and ask for help or something like that or they, they interact go into a with gas kings. station they and interact. ask for directions 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Firefox is on. She loves the Oz characters. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, um, uh, something if with your permission, um, I couldn't find my actual copy of the book, but um, uh, I, I do. Uh, there is a great book out there uh, by one of my favorite writers, uh, Jorge Luis Borges, uh, Argentinian mm -hmm. writer. Uh, did Book of Sand and Dream Tigers and things like that. But he also did a really neat book called The Book of American. Uh, I'm sorry, The Book of Imaginary Beings. Um, mm -hmm. and I thought if, with your permission, I could read his brief summary of fairies, um, and, yes. and see what you think. So did you find it? I found a PDF, uh, of it. Oh, okay. so, so yeah. I don't have my, but that's okay. You won't hear me turn pages, but it, it's, it's literally <laughs> a, a page and a half of a uh, description. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, here, here it is. Uh, the fairies from Bore's book of imaginary beings. They meddle magically in human affairs, and their name is linked to the Latin word latum, fate, destiny. It is said that the fairies are most uh, are the most numerous, the most beautiful, and the most memorable of the minor supernatural beings. They are not restricted to a particular place or a particular period. Ancient Greeks, Eskimos, and Native Americans, I'm not going to say what he said there, um, all tell their stories of, of heroes who have won the love of these creatures of the imagination. Such fortunes hold their perils. A fairy, once its whim is satisfied, may deal death to its lovers. In Ireland and Scotland, the people of fairy uh, uh, are assigned underground dwelling places where they can find children and men whom they've kidnapped, believing that the flint arrowheads they dig up in the fields once belonged to the fairies. Irish farmers endowed these objects with unfailing medical powers. Uh, Yeats, uh, I'm sorry, Yeats, Yeats, Yeats' early tales abound in accounts of village people uh, among the fairies. In, in one, a countrywoman tells him that she did not believe either in hell or in ghosts. Hell was an invention got up by priests to, uh, to keep people good, and the ghosts would not be permitted she held to go traipsing about the earth at their own free will. But there are fairies and little leprechauns and water horses and fallen angels. Fairies are fond of song and music and the color green. Yeats notes that the little people and fairies in Ireland are sometimes as big as we are, sometimes bigger, and sometimes, as I've been told, about three feet high. And uh, uh, at the end of the 17th century, a Scots churchman the Reverend Robert Kirk of Aberfoyle wrote a work entitled The Secret Commonwealth or an essay on the nature and actions of the subterranean and, for the most part, invisible people heretofore going under the name Faunas and Fairies or the like among the Low Country Scots as they are described by those who have the second sight. That's the full title of his essay. In 19, 19, I'm sorry, 1815, Sir Walter Scott had the book reprinted. Um, of Mr. Kirk, it is told that the fairies snatched him away because he had revealed their mysteries. On the seas uh, off Italy, especially in the Strait of Messina, the Fata Morgana uh, contrives mirages uh, to confuse sailors and lure them aground. 
that's his that's what he said about fairies that's the full read on cool yeah so there you go i mean good to have somebody else's opinion in there yeah so, so it, it, it he just it, they're just tiny little weird essays that he decided to write about uh i mean some of the you know he even has other people's creations in here you know not just folklore and stuff so i find it to be an interesting little book but anyway here we are five minutes to go and foxfire asks uh oh we've got five minutes well we're gonna have to let that go but uh are the Gillikins and the Quadlings and the Winkies racist to each other? I don't think so. They are different races of people, according to the the four quadrants. And then the, you know, they're, they're different people. They're different colors, but they definitely, I think it's just local politics and whatever witch is in charge of you. <laughs> because, yeah. um... It's like your um, Linda your, your from the south, and it's like witches yeah. are ombudsmen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're the the witches are the rulers and the the um your comptrollers. Yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, council people. But I don't think the people had a problem with each other. Mm -hmm. um, they're just different uh, things. But you know what? We're gonna we're gonna listen, to, and they're, they're gonna. See, because I started, um, and we got to let you go here. We got to wrap things up in four minutes. But I started reading another book um, called Water Babies, and I started reading another L. Frank Baum um, book. I'm trying to see if I can see it from here. Mm. And it was, oh, it's about the sea fairies. Yeah. Because he wrote that before he started writing Oz stuff. And it's fun, but it kind of. I didn't get through it. I mean, I like it, but I'm doing this and doing other things. And, and I think it's easier for me to listen to somebody telling me a story at this point in my life or listen to an audio book. That way I'll get it done. Sure. And, uh, especially if I know I can talk about it with you guys. I appreciate that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so let's, uh, let's go through this because they go to the different towns, they go to the different cities and the different quadrants and, and talk to the people. And just like cities in everywhere, they've all got their individual problems. Yeah. You know, yeah, so jurors. it's it's kind of interesting because so, I, I think that in a lot of ways he was dealing with the uh, industrialization that happened in uh, not last century, but the century before. Sure. In sure. Victorian times. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, um, if you don't mind, quick plug for everybody. Please check out uh, this Friday's It Came from Cleveland. Yeah. We're going to be talking like about, uh, speaking of witches, um, we're going to be talking about uh, Elizabeth Montgomery uh, and uh, Peter Usinov, maybe a little bit of Roy Clark, too. And we've got a lot mm. of other fun stuff uh, for you. Um, lined up. I'm working on a segment called uh, Tale of Two Spinoffs. Two failed backdoor pilots uh, that were broadcast as episodes on two different shows. One from the 70s, one from the 80s. And, of course, Miles, Michelle, and Joe will have lots of fun facts for everybody. And uh, it's going to be a hoot. So it came from Cleveland. And the robots will be back. And, of course, we do have another mythical minute from Adam. 
And uh, I do have a new playlist from Mort from Kill the Hippies. Yes. All right. Let's go do the outro music. Oh, I Got thought it. you wanted to say something uh, to everybody. Thanks uh, for Oh, no, you can do the outro thing. music and I'll, I'll, I'll say some stuff. Oh, there you go. But yeah, um, I know there were wars in Oz and I know that there were armies and I know that there was General Ginger I was reading the other day, but I think she was more of a revolutionary leading the women to revolt. But uh, yeah, let's find out tons of stuff about Oz and everything else. And uh, maybe Ken will read us again, read to us again. I liked that. Thanks. And, I, um, I will. And hopefully Zelda will come back and comment, even if she's busy turning the blue tide, which is also a magical thing, as you guys know. So, thanks, Ken, for helping out. And we will see you on Thursday. Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights. It's a blast bringing this stuff to you. Radioforhumans.com. Hey.